Okay, now for our message, it'll be brought to us by Mr. Lawrence Gregory, and it's entitled, The Antichrist. We know tomorrow is Mother's Day, and uh, it's usual to have a sermon the day before concerning the holiday that's coming up, but uh, today I want to address two subjects that is of concern to every Christian. Now, some focus correctly on one subject of this uh, title of the message today. Others ignore some of the points. As we will see, there are involved subjects for our day and even going back centuries into the beginning of biblical times. I have uh, 12 references for the first part and uh, seven references for the last part. For the first part, I would like us to turn in the New Testament, and all of these uh, references in the first part are in the New Testament. And I said 12, actually uh, there are eight references. So in uh, 1 John, the second chapter, verse 22 through 25, I'd like to read that, 22 through 25. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same has not the Father. But, and this is in italics, he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. Now first I would like us to know that uh, the word is anti-Christ, not anti-Christ. It's a short vowel. The Christ is a long vowel. The I in the Christ is a long vowel. And uh, the pronunciation is anti-Christ, like in the word A-N-T-E, like in poker when you ante up uh, before the hand is played and before you receive the cards you uh, put in your money and you ante up. So they're pronounced, the A-N-T-I is pronounced anti, not anti-Christ. Now, uh, the word... Antichrist means against, opposed, opposite. Now there's a third word we're not going to look at today, and that's pseudo-Christ. That's false Christ. That's in the Greek, pseudo-Christ. So my focus today for this first part is on the Antichrist and who he is. Now as I said, there are a number, and we'll look at this, there are a number of Antichrists, but there's one main Antichrist that is portrayed in the Bible that we're going to 
uh, look at a little later. Now, uh, the scripture here talks about the, having the Father and the Son. Now, there's some confusion, especially in the Old Testament, on the word, and we'll pronounce it Jehovah, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, because there are in the Old Testament no uh, vowels, it's only consonants, we don't have an exact pronunciation. But we know that the word Jehovah is the personal name of the one who became Jesus. Now, the Father was in the background, and he is referred to as God, or he's included with Jesus and the, and the Father as God. In the Old Testament, there are thousands of references to God, Elohim. So I'm not going to go into too much of that today, but just to say that we need to have those two persons, those two individuals in our lives, the Father and the Son, Jesus. Now, let's go to uh, 1 John the second chapter and uh, verse 18, the first part here, because there's two references in this verse here. Little children, it is the last time, and as you have heard, the Antichrist shall come. So now, John is writing about 90s uh, in the late part of the first century. And uh, as you've heard, he is referencing to possibly some of the scriptures, Old Testament, Daniel, but perhaps more to Jesus who was writing a little earlier and maybe even some of what Jesus said to Paul who was writing earlier in the 50s AD references. So he is saying you've heard before already, you've, you've heard this uh, before, this uh, future reference. Now, uh, he says here that, uh, let me go to... Uh, in Second uh, Thessalonians, the second chapter now, back up a little bit here. Second Thessalonians, second chapter. And uh, verse 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the God of perdition, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, uh, this reference here uh, to sitting in the temple and uh, in the uh, Bible in the New Testament in 1 Timothy, we'll go there, 3.15. First Timothy 3.15. I have to turn my pages carefully here. Uh, uh, we read, But if I tarry long, that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the temple likened in the New Testament to the house of God and the house of God likened to the church. 
So in the church, we've got to look somewhere, and we'll see this, focus on this. There's going to be a person who proclaims that he is God, that is above God, that is above Jesus Christ, that his word and his actions and his deeds are spiritually excelling above everyone else, that he is God in the flesh. And so we uh, recognize that uh, that is something we have to be careful and uh, keep our eye on for what's happening in the church. Now, we see here that that man of sin or lawlessness is uh, presiding as God, presiding as uh, the spiritual uh, God with his power and his authorities. So we have to uh, consider that, and, and I've got some things I'm going to read here a little later, but uh, I have another point here. Uh, third, fourth, and fifth points that we are going to look at here uh, occur here basically in the book of John in the latter part of the first century as we're talking about. So I want to go to First um, John 4. Two and three. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. And so we who are in Christ or have Christ, Know that he lives in us now, presently. But if someone says uh, Christ doesn't live in you or that Jesus lived uh, 2,000 years ago and uh, died and buried and resurrected, yeah, and he's up in heaven, but he's not living in a person now, that's, the Bible says, is the spirit of Antichrist. You know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So, is come. Now, he lived uh, about 30 years in the flesh, but he's come now in us by the Spirit. And so, to deny that is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, let's go back to uh, 2 John, the 7th chapter, the 7th verse, actually, because uh, there's just uh, a few verses in Second uh, John 1 chapter, verse 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. So we have to be careful and not be deceived. Don't listen to someone that says, Jesus doesn't live in Christians today. He can't. How can he live uh, in thousands and millions of Christians? Well, he does it by his spirit, by the spirit of God. So he certainly lives in us, and that's a, 
a denier and a liar and a deceiver who says that that can't happen. Now, the fifth verse here is in uh, 1 John 2, 18, the second part. Let's go back to 1 John, uh, the second chapter, and verse 18, the second part. Uh, we read the first part. Little children, it is the last time. So we know that we're living in the last times. And Paul, uh, pardon me, John was writing in that first century, and he was considering it uh, the last times because of things that were happening, but it's been 2,000 years almost. Uh, and as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. But you have an unction, an anointing from the Holy Spirit, the Holy One, and that you know all things. And so we know through the unction, through the anointing of God's Spirit on us, we understand this. And we know that uh, there is an antichrist in the world, and it affects uh, us, it affects the church, it affects currently, and presently, uh, the uh, condition of the, of the uh, church of God. Now, uh, I want to read here because our focus has been, and most of uh, Christianity's focus has been on the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope as the Antichrist for thousands of years, uh, hundreds of years, pardon me, since the inception of Catholicism. So I want to read from uh, Babylon Mystery Religion by Ralph Woodrow. And uh, also there's another book, uh, Alexander Hislop's uh, The Two Babylons. That's a very good book, and he quotes extensively from them. And Ralph Woodrow, Woodrow uh, was a visitor at our church many, many years ago when he was in California. And he came back and visited, and we put a number of these books uh, uh, in the library. But I want to read from the back, just a, a preference of this book here. Babylon Mystery Religion is a detailed biblical and historical account of how, when, why, and where ancient paganism was mixed with Christianity. From the early days of Babylon and the legends surrounding Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tam Tammuz, certain rites and rituals are traced in their various developments, thus providing clues whereby the mystery is solved. The apostles had predicted there would come a falling away, and the proof of their prediction is now evident in history. With such evidence in hand, all true believers should seek, as never before the simplicity found in Christ himself, and to be earnestly contending for that original faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Now, I want to read uh, from the uh, table of context, the index of these chapters. And just listen to this because I won't uh, be going through uh, the chapters reading, but uh, I want to read here just the title of some of these chapters. Babylon, the source of false religions, mother and child worship, Mary worship, saints, saints' days and symbols, obelisks, temples, and towers. The cross, is it a Christian symbol? Constantine and the cross. 
the relic of Romanism, religious fraud? Was Peter the first pope? Paganism, origin of papal office, papal immortality. Are popes infallible? The human inquisition. Lords over God's heritage, an unmarried priesthood, the mass, three days and three nights, fish, Friday, and the spring festival, the winter festival, the mystery of the mixture. And so from that you can get an idea of some of the uh, uh, contents of this book by Ralph Woodrow, Babylon, Mystery Religion. And uh, I'd recommend that uh, you study that sometime if you want to know more about the Antichrist and the spirit that's in the church and how that affects even Protestantism, how that's affected some of us in the past with uh, some of the holidays. And uh, we heard this, uh, somebody mentioned here uh, just uh, during the Spring Festival about the belief in transubstantiationism and that's the transference of the body of Jesus into the bread and the wine. Now we know the Bible condemns cannibalism so he's talking about symbols and emblems. His bread and his blood symbolized by the bread and I mean his flesh and his blood symbolized by the bread and the wine that we partake. Now, bread is good, bread is good to eat, wine is good to drink, but he takes those emblems spiritually to teach us lessons about imbibing and taking on Christ and taking him in, of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Now, we don't do that, but certain ones believe that that mass, that little wafer and that little wine that they take is actually the body and the blood of Jesus. And that's, that's wrong. That's a false doctrine. And so you can read more about that in the, in the other references and probably other books now. The uh, second part of the message today is similar, but um, it's uh, a little different. And uh, I want to go to Matthew, the uh, fifth chapter, and uh, verse... Uh, Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 15, in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus' words, Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And he goes on to tell how we can know them by the fruits that they bear in their life. And so uh, these false prophets, we have to be careful that we're not deceived by them. In Deuteronomy 13, 5, we'll go back in the Old Testament as we begin back here in Deuteronomy uh, 13, 5. It says, He's talking about uh, false prophets here. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded you to walk in. So shall you put 
the evil away from the midst of you. And so, in the Old Testament, the admonition was, if there was a false prophet, put him to death. But in the New Testament, we have a different teaching, and we deal in that in a different way. So we want to go in the New Testament to Romans, the uh, 16th chapter, and uh, beginning in verse uh, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And thy good words and fair speeches deceive, and, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, in the New Testament, in the church of God, we don't put to death somebody comes in off the street or a false prophet or an antichrist or uh, whoever that we see that is not of God. We don't put them to death, but we just avoid them. We mark them. We, we single out that person to avoid them. Now, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, let's go back there. 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 13, he's talking here about all different kinds of uh, sinful conduct that is in a person. But he says in verse 13, But them that are without God judges, therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. So sometimes, you know, uh, we have to stand very strong and very sincere. Uh, we know that uh, the churches would like to be together and to be one organization again, but it's not possible. Now, the Tulsa Church of God, our congregation, has an open-door policy, and we welcome and we extend, and we like to see visitors come, and we like to see uh, individuals from other congregations uh, come and worship God with us. But we can't control or can't speak for them. And I know there are many other hierarchies and many other groups that uh, have a closed-door policy. Uh, sometimes we're invited to attend or we can attend there, but we don't go over and uh, try to tear down those walls and barriers and try to make us all one again, even though uh, it would be nice to have uh, more attendance and to have a larger congregation. Still. Uh, it seems like, uh, and we've said this in the past, that uh, a smaller group gives more people an opportunity to serve in more ways. Whereas you've got one group, one bad group, you've got one big group, not bad, big group. You've got uh, two or three people that are serving as uh, song leaders and speakers. Uh, but uh, when you've got a bunch of smaller groups, you've got a bunch of people that are involved in serving and outreach. And... Uh, so we just have to look at the fruits that those people uh, in those other groups are bearing and uh, welcome them and encourage them and uh, support them and uh, don't deny them that uh, God is working in their lives and in their group just as well. We don't all have to be just a Tulsa Church of God. And uh, I say that uh, because I want us to uh, understand that. And uh, we have to have an open door policy but at the same time, we can't control other groups or other organizations. Now, in uh, Colossians, the second chapter, let's go there. 
Colossians, the second chapter. In verse 8, beware. That's what Jesus told us, remember? Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are completed in him, which is the head of all the principles and powers. And you go on uh, for other additional verses. But we're told here to beware. Now, we've got to beware of uh, someone that has a philosophical approach. Uh, we've got to be aware of uh, their denying Jesus Christ that comes in the flesh and lives in us and dwells in us and works in us. So there's a lot of things that we have to be aware of and uh, to be careful not to be deceived. In 2 Peter, the second chapter, And verse uh, 1 and 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, that bought them, that, and, and brings upon themselves swift destruction and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of I keep uh, threatening that I'm going to bring a, a different Bible with the same National Bible press because I've written over so many of these verses and the pages are hard to turn and they're scotch taped and they stick together and so uh, I hope you'll forgive me in misreading some of these uh, verses. I shouldn't do that. I know it's very important and very critical that we read every word correctly. And um, let me say, just say this, brethren, to all of us. If we see or hear someone saying wrong doctrines, wrong interpretation of prophecy, misquoting scriptures... I want to challenge us to say something to that person. And uh, I'm going to take it upon myself more and more to do it. Now, I haven't because we, sometimes we want to be kind and nice and we don't want to say anything, but I'm going to start speaking out more plainly and clearly to those individuals. I have in the past, as you know, some of you have seen me do that, and I will, and I, if you want to if I'm not here and I'm visiting another church and somebody says something or does something that's not correct according to the scriptures, if you want to let me know about it, then I can say something to that person if you want me to do that. But I want to challenge every one of us in the Tulsa Church of God to be alert and looking out for the truth and to say, you know, we don't believe that here. Uh, you're welcome to worship God. You're welcome to... Uh, uh, be with us in fellowship and 
welcome to have a meal, but uh, we're not going to wish you Godspeed to go spread your false doctrines or your aberrant teachings someplace else. And uh, we don't accept that and we don't believe that. that. That's if they're saying, you know, something that is wrong and is very clear, a wrong, false interpretation of uh, history. Like uh, uh, someone told me just uh, a couple of days ago in the grocery store, I was there and I didn't challenge them at that time because I didn't want to get into a long theological discussion. But they were telling me that, uh, uh, oh, this guy was saying about uh, the earthquake in the San Andreas Fault in California. Now, you know, they've been saying for years that uh, California is going to slide into the ocean when the earthquake occurs, and it's long overdue. The last major, major uh, upheaval of the San Andreas Fault was in the 1800s. Now, they've had some uh, lighter tremors, but it's been 20 or 30 years since they've had a earthquake in that area. But he said, he was telling me uh, that, which I believe, because I know that's, that's uh, possible, that, uh, that San Andreas Fault there in California that runs all the way through the plateau uh, area of California there uh, may cause major disruption and the loss of many lives. But uh, he was saying that, yeah, uh, but the earth is going to be inundated with water. All the water levels are rising and, and uh, in 20 years or so, maybe the earth will just be one ball of water. And I could have challenged him and the world would come to an end because that's not scripturally correct. Remember, God said that the earth would abide forever. The number of verses in Psalms and uh, in Proverbs that the earth, that God created the earth and it would abide forever. And then he said at Noah's flood, when he gave that rainbow, he promised that the earth would never again be inundated with water like it was at that time when the waters covered even the highest mountain peaks. And this whole world was inundated with water during the days of uh, that year of Noahian flood. But God is not going to do that anymore. He's promised us. So I didn't want to get into a long theological discussion with him. But if somebody uh, comes in in the church and says, well, God is going to destroy the earth with water in 20 years, you can tell them or you can challenge me and I'll tell them, no, that is not correct. That is not scripturally correct. That is not the way it is. And so we come back to the Bible. If the Bible says it, and the Bible says some pretty outlandish things, doesn't it? It says some incredible things sometimes that are hard to understand and hard to uh, interpret and hard to believe. So we have to be careful in uh, interpreting uh, what the scripture says. But if we know that it's wrong, then we can correct. Now, uh, back in John, let's go back to uh, finish up in John. 1 John, 4th chapter, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. We read that and we've talked about that in other, in other references. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come and 
even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so we're challenged here, try, test, prove the Spirit. And so the biblical injunction for us, that's why we can say, hey, uh, we don't believe that, that's not correct according to the Bible, that's not true. And we need to understand and know our Bibles that we can stand up and face and uh, go through this and challenge anyone that has a uh, wrong, a false teaching or denies the Father, denies the Son, uh, those two scriptures, uh, references that we've uh, seen earlier about the Antichrist and that there are many Antichrists. Now, uh, here's another thing I want us to know. Not just the one Antichrist that sits in the Roman Catholic Church and the popes and all the things that, that are wrong with uh, their priesthood and their false doctrines and false teachings, but Antichrist, something that opposes, that uh, is against, not before, but against Jesus, that uh, has to do with our spirit. What is that? Well, there are Antichrists, there are many Antichrists in the world. Some of those are money. Now, wait, let's just stop and think about it. Job, don't some people put a job or money ahead of Christ? They oppose Christ, uh, following Christ because they want to elevate prestige, themselves, their ideas, their money, their job, their way. There are a lot of different things that we can elevate above God and above Christ. Instead of just the one religious false teaching that is inherent in Catholicism and uh, continuing down and is in existence to this very day. So, in closing here, don't follow Antichrist or anyone falsely. God is looking for sincere, true followers of Him and Jesus Christ. Be careful. Hold to the true Christ. Don't be misled. Stand firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ and the true meaning of the word of God. Don't follow Antichrist and don't be deceived. Brethren, hold steady to that one belief that we have in God and in Christ.